Good morning. Welcome to the Chinook Podcast, where we desperately hope for the warm wind of the Holy Spirit to blow across our province and thaw out frozen hearts. And we'd like him to do the same also to our material world. <laughs> yes, we would. <laughs> Negative 37 degrees today up here in Alberta. <clears throat> yeah. And that's Celsius. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Which is basically Fahrenheit, too. Yeah, they meet at minus 40. They meet at minus 40. It, it seems like an odd time to meet, but uh, th- that is when they meet. Yeah, why couldn't they meet at a nicer temperature? Yes, <laughs> at a nice restaurant or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, my name is Brad Donovan. I'm an elder at Christ Covenant Church here in Grand Prairie. And, yeah, I managed to get my truck to start this morning. And I'm Nathan Seckfeld, and I'm the pastor here at Christ Covenant Church in Grand Prairie. And... Yeah, I had my van plugged in all night, and the cord seemed to work, so it started. And my name is Jamie Souls, and uh, my car, there's just no hope it was going to start this morning. And I'm very, very thankful that Nathan Zeckveld lives near to me, and he has heated seats in his van. Ooh, heated seats. Yes, it is luxurious. (laughs) It is is very luxurious. (laughs) You know you live in the north when you talk about plugging in a vehicle and heated seats. Yes. Yeah, I don't think an American would even know what that is, plugging in a vehicle. Yeah, so for those of you that may or may not know, there are two ways you can plug in a vehicle up here. Uh, One is an inline rad hose heater, so it heats the coolant. And the other is an engine block heater. It heats the oil. Uh, You can also get a magnetic oil pan heater. Those don't work very well. And uh, they sometimes fall off while you're driving. And you'll occasionally see this <laughs> twisted piece of magnetic <laughs> electric heating pad in the ditch somewhere. But uh, yeah, for those of you that don't know, that's, that's what we're talking about. Today's topic, Pastor Nathan, would you like to take it away? Yes, I'll begin here. So we're talking today about spiritual disciplines in the life of the family. And I want to begin by making an analogy, not a direct comparison, obviously, but an analogy to the, uh, the original concept of the monastery. In the old days, well before the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s, Christians would gather in communities called monasteries. There, they would develop spiritual disciplines and even academic rigor, and you'll even find scientific inventions that arose in these communities. Much more could be said about these communities, but the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes monasticism in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, in this way. Monasteries became a protest against the secularization of Christianity and the cheapening of grace. Of course, he continues by saying that it was not the justification of sin, but the justification of the sinner that drove Luther from the monastery back into the world. Like Christ, the piety of the Christian life is not found in the seclusion of the monastery, but by living out our faith in the midst of our enemies. Bonhoeffer stops short at the family because he is speaking more about the Christian individual in this book, The Cost of Discipleship, and then he's speaking about the church in his book, Life Together. But his reflections have brought me more to reflect on the family. What does discipleship look like in the context of the family? Now, I grew up in a family that tried to pray and read scripture at least at two meals a day. And that, of course, was possible since my dad was a pastor and had his office at home. 
As we grew older, my dad would state an idea and we would have to refute him from scripture. So we would have long discussions as part of our devotional time, long discussions about theological and cultural issues. Now, this practice of uh, praying and reading at dinner especially comes strongly from the Dutch culture who tried to do this at three meals a day. And again, that was possible for the Dutch farmers because they had farming habits that gravitated around three meal periods every day. I know of a senior pastor, for example, who grew up in a family where it was the habit to read wisdom literature, either Psalms, Proverbs, or Ecclesiastes, every morning before he and his siblings would head off to school. That way the day began with wisdom, which is a good idea. I also had the privilege of joining a gentleman and his family here in Alberta who spoke about um, their practice as family worship. They would gather in the evening for half an hour, probably later in the evening, and they would talk about a passage of scripture and also go through some of the teachings of the Westminster Catechism. So it was a specific period of devotional time set apart in the, in the evening. With the increase of homeschooling in the West, the family has increased opportunities to develop practices like these in the life of the family. There can be a variety of practices, but it's uh, good to have an idea of, of um, some of the essentials. But the impetus, especially for these spiritual disciplines in the family, comes from Deuteronomy 6, where God's people are commanded to teach his word to our children. In fact, it is even possible that the modern Christian family is in some places and in some ways reviving what the old monks tried to cultivate in their monastic communities. The piety of a Christian family that is living in the midst of a godless world can be a powerful force to show the light of Christ to a dying world. And so through our doctrine of the covenant, we also accomplish the mission of the church. And so on this podcast, we want to encourage Christian families of all stripes to think about what kind of culture they are developing in their local family units. To use the language of Bonhoeffer, what is your protest as a family against the secularization of Christianity and the cheapening of grace? And I'll pass it off to either Brad or Jamie to talk about your protest. Ah, yes. Well, uh, let's start with Bible reading. Let's start with the scriptures, and then we can work to uh, to other disciplines uh, from there. Uh, For uh, my own self, in our family, we will typically read a passage of scripture uh, with our dinner meal. So once we finish dinner, one of my children brings me the Bible. I'll read a passage. Uh, There'll be some discussion on it, depending, and then uh, then we have a a short time of prayer after the meal. So that's, that's a very simple kind of family worship setup. Uh, when my children were smaller, the passages read were shorter. Right. So this, this is something for, uh, for the Christian husband and father to consider. Uh, scale your family worship to your children uh, and what they, uh, what, what they can do, right? If, if you've got a two-year-old, a two-year-old isn't going to be able to sit for a 45-minute you know, discussion right. on the typological aspect of one of the four faces of a cherub from Ezekiel, <laughs> right? Your two-year-old is, is probably going to be deeply fascinated uh, with something else. <laughs> <laughs> so so scale, scale this to your children, obviously. Uh, in the Psalms, we, we read about uh, God as being one who knows how frail 
we are and does this for us. He has pity on his children here. <laughs> right. From Psalm 103. Yes. Sometimes my wife encourages me to have pity on my three-year-old daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mercy. <laughs> so, Mercy. Now, the, the reading of the scripture, this should be a baseline for all Christian families. If you aren't doing this, start now. Yes. Yes. The, uh, the scriptures were given by God to the church in order to shape God's people into the image of Christ. Um, that, that word is a shaper of people. And so we need to keep that word before our children if we want our children to be shaped into the image of Christ. Well, and uh, speaking of shaping children, um, it's no good to protest you know, the decadence and immorality of the culture if you're not taking the corrective action. Uh, don't complain unless you have a solution, and this, this is the solution. The, uh, the other thing is that you, if you want your children to love reading the Scriptures, love reading the Scriptures in front of them. Right. Yes. The, the, um, the things that you love, your children will pick up on. So if, if uh, the father sits at the table and, oh, do I have to read? <laughs> I'll read as little as possible. Here, pass the Bible off to my wife. Make her do the reading. Your children will not love the word, and they will not love the Lord. They will adopt your loves. Yes, that... Does seem to be the case, you know. When I think back at our own, our own practice in in our house, my uh, my whole tilt into the reformed orbit came oh in probably nineteen eighty nine or nineteen ninety from reading the Reconstructionist guys way back then, and. One of, the, one of the first implications, it seemed to me, of, of what this, this new eschatology means, mm-hmm. this, uh, this idea of looking forward and seeing the gospel uh, winning the world and Jesus winning the world through the gospel, one of the first implications to me was <clears throat> there's got to be there's got to be a change in how we educate our kids. You know, that, that was really important because in order for the faith to be faithfully passed on, uh, it, 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 can't be, it can't be done consistently and well by, by having, to, having to put out fires all the time. Right. Right. Yeah, you have to be proactive okay. instead of reactive. You have to be proactive, yeah. and, and so we we uh, were bent toward homeschooling from the time our oldest was like one year old. We were bent in that direction, and thinking about okay, well, how how are we going to be able to educate this child, and uh, and main main way in uh, in our in my early thinking along those lines was read the bible to them 
read it. Let's uh, let's read it. Let's pray. Let's sing songs. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, there's lots of songs to sing. Uh, we, I grew up with a hymn book in my hand, and so I've got all kinds of hymns we could teach the kids. But I, uh, you know, it began to occur to me. Uh, as we're reading Bible stories to these kids, that singing these things might actually help. And, well, and lo and behold, it did. Lo and behold. Yeah. <laughs> it, it helped greatly. <laughs> Music but, has a way of making things stick in your memory. Yes. Oh, very much so. We, we routinely will read through a passage, <laughs> and one or more of my children will be like, oh, Uncle Jamie has a song on this. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. <laughs> Yes, and Jamie, of course, has written a lot of music to help families in uh, teaching the Bible to their children. Yeah, and the um, if if you are sitting there concerned about the fact that most Christians lose their children as soon as they're out of the home, Mm -hmm. right? They they go off to university or college, and all of a sudden they've demonstrated themselves to be reprobates. Well, what kind of catechesis were you doing all along? Uh, if you, this is can some. You, can you talk about that word? What is that word? Catechesis, uh, the training of a child in doctrine. So, okay. one of the tools that we have in our uh, in our church tradition is the Heidelberg uh, Catechism, yeah, which is geared for instructing children in the foundations of doctrine. Uh, and the copies that we typically have have all sorts of scripture references for each, uh, each statement, really. So if you want to find out where in the Bible an idea in the catechism comes from, go look it up. Uh, but one of the things that I find interesting about homes, like the, ge- the physical geography of a house, when you look at a house that's been built in the last 20 or so years, what is the centerpiece of the main room? It's a blank wall with plug-ins. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, because right. you got to put your big flat screen TV there so daddy can watch his hockey game. Mm-hmm. Right? The house is built, the modern house is built, up, at least in our area, for a television. It's, it's almost like a, like a shrine. Mm-hmm. Like, like a shrine to a pagan god. The family deity hangs on the wall. <laughs> and, uh, and it is electrified. Yes. Now, if you order your life around that thing, then your life will be shaped like that thing. So if you're really concerned about losing your children, if you, if you think, I don't want my children walking away from the faith when they walk out of my house, well, then perhaps you should love the scriptures in front of them daily. Together. Together. <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, routinely when we'll be reading in, in uh, now I do have a couple of older children, older-ish, and I'll be reading some passage and then somebody will start waving their hand, ooh, 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 daddy, is this like, you know, some other story? Or this reminds me of that? Or, you know, why, 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 are, they, why are they behaving like this, daddy? Why is Absalom murdering Amnon but not his brothers? Right. (laughs) That question came up last night. I I was was reading (laughs) Second Samuel (laughs) thirteen. Why? Why? Why is Ammon murdering his only one brother and not all brothers? But uh, (laughs) that's a good question. It is. Yeah, (laughs) and you will you will find uh, yourself reading these delicate passages, of which there are a surprising amount. Yes, the Bible is, uh, if you were to make this into a movie, it Don't. would. Yeah. 
<laughs> it would not be on television. I, I don't even think Netflix would put it out. <clears throat> but uh, read the scriptures. We've referred in the past uh, in other episodes, and I believe it's Hebrews 4 where it talks about the word of God being sharp. Sharp. Yeah, sharper than a two-edged sword, it says. Yeah, dividing joint and marrow, soul and spirit. The Word of God cuts us up and rearranges us. And we've, we've spoken of this in context of the corporate worship of the church, but this is also in the private life of the believer and in the life of the believer's family. Right, because the, the scriptures do teach us that the Word of God, when it goes forth, will not go forth in vain, but it'll always accomplish that for which it was sent. Right, that's from Isaiah. Uh, from Isaiah. And that, that happens around your kitchen table, too, uh, as well as it happens in other, other areas, like in worship, mm-hmm. in corporate worship. Well, if we're talking about a table, maybe we should talk about feasting. Yes, that would be another very important Christian discipline. <clears throat> and I, So Brad just mentioned uh, the structure of the Christian home. What's at the center of your Christian home? What is... Hmm. What does it look like when you walk into your living room, your kitchen? What's the first thing that captures your eye and draws your attention? Is it, is it the TV? Or is it, um, for example, the dinner table? Mm-hmm. And scripture often speaks about the dinner table being at the center of the Christian home. For example, Nehemiah, he, when he starts inviting people in, he has, throws a big feast for them. But I guess even more important than that example would be Psalm 128, which speaks specifically about the family. And uh, Brad, do you want yes. to read a couple verses from there to Psalm 128? Yeah. Uh, we sang a version of this at my wedding. Oh, yes. Bless the man that fears Jehovah. That one. It's a good song to sing at a wedding. Yes, it is. <laughs> Uh, It starts off with, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Hmm. That's a good thing. And your children (laughs) will be like olive shoots around your table. And there's your table right there. Olive shoots around your table. Yes. It's a picture of life. Indeed. And abundant fruitfulness. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. wisdom. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And then it ends with, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we moved once from Red Deer back to Grand Prairie. It would have been 2002. Uh, By that time, we had seven children, and (laughs) we were looking for a house, and uh, you have to find a house that's going to fit your family as best as you can. Um, The thing that was primary for us in finding a house was finding a place that was big enough for our table. Yes. Uh, finding a, I mean, there's, there's places that ought to be big enough for your table, but of course they were built with the television as the central shrine and they don't <laughs> really have room for a big table. But we needed a big table because not only did we have a crowd of kids, it was also important to us that we engage in hospitality. Mm-hmm. And 
and we wanted to have room. And God led us to such an excellent house. Indeed. I really, really like my house. 20 years along, I like my house. It's very good. There's a big, wide open area that we can fit a table and another one if we need to and just stretch it out. And you can still see one another while you're all gathered around the table, which uh, uh, that, was, that was a premium for me for buying a house mm-hmm. because the table really is the center of what's going on. If in, in your family, that table is the, is the visible center. It's the hub of family life. It was the hub <laughs> yep. of family life. Every meal there, uh, yep. every day when you're doing homeschooling work, a majority of it's being done on that table. <clears throat> you get together to play games. It's all done on that, on that table. table. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and when your children chase, like my boys, they chase each other around of said course. table. If you <laughs> if you put a, an object into a room and sufficient space to run around it, yeah, boys will. They will. Yes. Yeah, every time. Yeah. It, it's like a magnet. And often they'll crawl underneath it and stand up and bang their head on it. <laughs> oh, this is true. <laughs> right. well, yes. I remember when Liam discovered that he was the same height as the table. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, um, it's interesting that feasting is actually a very prominent thing in the Scriptures. I find it interesting. I love food. Now, food is good. Mm-hmm. But feasting is very prominent. We have in Leviticus 23 the Feast of Booths. So this is basically where God commanded the people to go camping yeah. and to eat a lot of good food yeah. and to drink a lot of good drink. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the 15th day of the seventh month, I think that would have been towards the end of like summer, I think. Yeah, I, it was after harvest. Yeah, I, I, think th- I don't think that their months lined up with our yeah, months. Yeah, I don't think they do. No, I'm not, I'm not an expert on, on their months, but uh, it's a seven-day... Camp out. It's marvelous. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. Carry on. Yeah, yeah, so you, I'm, I'm just more about that. I'm thoroughly enraptured with the idea of seven days of feasting. Yes. <laughs> or maybe church campouts. Church campouts. Yeah. Church uh, barbecues. Family camps. <laughs> yeah. Family camps. Family camps. Uh, I, I remember the the church in Portland. That yes. was the, where I, that was where they rooted their idea of uh, getting together every summer for a family camp. I, I actually went to their it's family a great camp. great idea. Yeah, I went to their family <laughs> camp, I think, in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not sure if Emily was born yet. She might have been. But I remember uh, that very well. It was, it was a great time. There's some marvelous saints down there in Oregon. And uh, the weather was much, much nicer than up here. But, but uh, feasting. Uh, I've got a barbecue. We've made use of it for church potlucks. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Oh, I'm practically salivating. <laughs> well, and, and you just look at different books of the Bible, like Esther mm. is structured around feasting. And yep. There's Jesus, banquet banquet. Jesus just keeps on feasting. And he talks about, <laughs> um, in Luke chapter 5, he talks about, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? So he's basically telling his disciples in Luke five verse thirty four mm-hmm. to uh, to go and feast because the uh, the bridegroom has come. And so that's a celebration in the Christian family that that Christ has come and has given us new life, and and then we can feast together and mm-hmm. have fellowship. So why are we talking about this in terms of a spiritual 
discipline, discipline because in the home. It requires a certain amount of determination to host people in your home mm-hmm. and put a real nice spread in front of them. Yeah. You, you have to go out of your way to do this. You, you do not accidentally feast. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and you need um, you need a father mm-hmm. who is shepherding his family in a direction where they're not gathered around the TV, mm-hmm. but where they have the the discipline and the grace and the patience with one another to sit at a table together for half an hour, for forty five minutes, however long you sit at the table. Yep. Um, but that that actually takes a lot of. Um, spiritual discipline in order to have that habit, that rhythm in the family life. Mm. Yes. And there, there's something that's connected to feasting uh, of, of Thanksgiving. Yes. Right. Because mm-hmm. at, at yeah. a feast, it's a deliberate cultivation of Thanksgiving in your house when you're gathering people and you're eating together. So when life gets hard, is the father of the family going to shut down or is he going to keep on gathering his family to feast together and to seek God's help mm-hmm. even it, in difficult times? Yes. Uh, the cultivation of joy and thanksgiving, this, this is a good thing. Uh, one of the things that we do in, in our family is on a, uh, on a Saturday evening, we'll have a, a feast and very often we invite friends and family over and we, will, we have... A, uh, a small liturgy prior to the feasting right. to prepare for Sunday worship. So we're, we're, we're priming the pump to come into the presence of God with his people to worship. And we bring our friends and family into this feast as well so that they can um, share in this joy. Uh, and a lot of times we'll have friends from other churches where it's not their tradition to prepare for worship, but uh, it's always a marvelous blessing to have folks over. And it, like in the summertime, if, if it's not windy, and it's often windy here, but if it's not really windy, we'll put tables outside with tablecloths, a nice spread, <laughs> wine glasses. We'll be out in the sun eating, having uh, you know, beer and wine and roast. Uh, you know, we are, we are uh, actually going to do an episode on hospitality. Yes. <clears throat> it is that, one, that one's coming up, but uh, it, it spills over, doesn't it? It does. It's, it does. Like, it's like bread rising. It, it's, right. it, it yes. keeps rising, it spills over. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what leaven leavens the lump. Hey, there you go. Oh, well, yeah. it's just like there's some overlap between this podcast and our last one on Christian education. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. In, 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 uh, in the way that we feast, we are also training our, we're not just training ourselves, we're training our children, uh, like you were saying, Nathan, about joy, especially in hard times. If you, uh, if you as the father sit there and, you know, hard times come and hard times do come and you shut down, then you are training your children to do that. Mm-hmm. But if instead you go to the Lord with thanksgiving, if you shepherd your family in joyful celebrations, in thanksgiving, then that's what your children are learning. So uh, be sure to do that. The, uh, the scripture is full of feasting. And in a previous podcast, we talked about communion as being that feast with Christ. Right. Well, every meal in some way reflects that reality. And 
special dedicated feasting even more so. Yeah, Christ teaches us how to feast. Indeed. Yeah, which do you think came first? Hmm. The Lord's table or the family table? Hmm. I think the Lord's table is a family table. <clears throat> well, I think it is a family table, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, if, if readings in Roman culture mm, yes. were true, they didn't eat together as families, right. especially not in the classy ones that they wrote about. They didn't eat together as families. <laughs> maybe they did out in the, in the peasantry. Maybe that's the case. Mm. But, <clears throat> but at the table in the church, God invited everybody to the table, and you sat and you ate together. Yes. And, and, and families, I think, learned from that our family table is right. a copy of what Christ has done in communion. I, I would That's agree with I that. That's what I think is going on. I would agree with that. And we, we see in the, uh, in the Jewish feastings, we see that kind of shadow or that type. Right. Because in their feasting, like uh, Passover, mm-hmm. you and all your little ones. Right. right. So the whole family is, is, is engaged. But... Yeah, yeah the Passover was uh, partaken of in homes. Yes, in in the home. And, in the home, and you would invite your neighbor, right? That's actually in uh, in the Exodus text. Right, you would invite your neighbor in. Uh, but yeah, in the pagan cultures, feasting was more of a thing. When you read about it, it involves you know kings, nobles, important people, royalty. It's not a man, his wife, and his kids. You don't really have children come to the table. No. No, you don't. So the um, it, it seems to me that you're right, Jamie, that the, uh, the, the scriptures, the, uh, the Christian Eucharist, mm-hmm. is the, the fountainhead of our family feasting. So feast. Yeah, and, yes. and in a Christian family as well, like you see how, um, or you ought to see how Christian families love one another. So it's mm-hmm. not like the younger kids don't get food or the younger kids don't get listened (laughs) to. And it's just the, well, sometimes the younger kids don't get listened to, but, um, (laughs) out of sight, out of mind, it it gives, it gives family an opportunity and the discipline to say, Hey, let's listen to what little three-year-old Johnny has to say. Mm -hmm. Even if we can't totally understand what he's saying, it's still important, right? Cause we're a family. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. He belongs at this table. Yeah. Mm. And he'd better eat all his roast, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, when, when, when it comes to the preparation of meat, salt. Salt is key. Yes. That's a Bible thing. It, it, salt. You remember yes. that, that was yes. salt was always something that got offered with meat offerings. Yes, oddly enough. <laughs> so <laughs> Make that meat taste good for those priests. Yeah. Bless your priests. Bring salt. Yes. <laughs> salt. Mm. Yes. Now, the... Um, there was something I was going to say about uh, about feasting, and it's totally slipped my mind. Yes, Carry well, on. you can you can talk about it when we talk about hospitality. Okay. feasting is really connected well with yes. hospitality. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, about these various different spiritual disciplines, and feasting is definitely mm-hmm. part of that. There's a whole lot of other things that are part of it as well, right? Um, one that we've almost never practiced, but I know it's in the Bible, is, is fasting. Ah. So as, this, a, as a spiritual discipline. So what, then, is this fasting? 
If I had known better, we would have practiced more. <laughs> <laughs> ah, by their fruit show, you know them. Mm. Yeah, I've not done a lot of fasting in my lifetime, and maybe that's to my chagrin. Yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> I've I've only ever done it once or twice, but it is the not eating of food. It's mm-hmm. not feasting; it's fasting. The not eating of food, refraining from food for the purpose of prayer, and typically in the scriptures, repentance. Fasting is usually associated with repentance. Mm-hmm. There, there were seven feasts in Israel. You, you read about them in Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, seven feasts, one of which was a fast. Uh, the Day of Atonement? The Day of Atonement. You did not mm. eat. All the rest of them you ate, but that was a refrain from eating. Yes. One. Speaking of refraining from eating, we, we, the Feast of Booths, was celebrated under Joshua, the son of Nun, okay. and Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. And in Nehemiah, it's very clear that that was the only two times it had been celebrated. <laughs> so there was a lot of fasting going on there, I take it. <laughs> Those guys were not as good at family camping as, they, as their book told them to be. Yeah. <laughs> now, now with, with the fasting, so the Day of Atonement, we're supposed to fast, but there's also... Fasts proclaimed, uh, I believe, in Esther. Yeah, and in yes. Daniel. Yeah, if they're fa- if they're asking the Lord Ezra. earnestly to mm-hmm. intervene, they would fast. Yes, I mean in in Isaiah it says, uh, "Cry aloud, do not hold back." Right, and he's uh, chapter fifty eight. Talking, crying out to the Lord, why have we fasted and you and you seen it not? There's fasting, and there's this crying out to the Lord for mercy. Mm-hmm. They go together. So, when when would be an appropriate time for a man to lead his family in fasting? I would think that when some sort of sin um, manifests itself publicly in the life of the immediate family or the extended family mm-hmm. that could or be the an, church or the church, um, could be an appropriate time, um, uh, to lead your family in fasting. Okay. It could be in relation to something that goes on in the land. Right. Right. Like some, national some, some disaster. national disaster mm-hmm. happens, which, and those happen here. Yes, uh, there's a lot of times we don't even recognize the disasters that are happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most of the disasters uh, happen. is a disaster that happens all the time. Yes. Uh, when have we? When have we fasted over that? Fasted over that. We should maybe consider that. The uh, I was about to say that the majority of our disasters happen in Ottawa. <laughs> it's the epicenter of all the earthquakes. <laughs> yes, all of them. Yeah, because if you think about it, it could show a certain callousness to right. what God is is doing in judging the nations and judging the worlds to just act like nothing's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Now, you'll find in Scripture that fasting is never uh, a health thing. Most of the people I have seen fast do yes. so for health reasons. They don't do it at all. Regarding repentance of sin, if I want to yeah. lose weight, I just have to get sick for a while. Yeah, where I don't, where I'm not hungry for a week. Yeah, but that's not a fast. <laughs> that's not a fast. No. Um, so you'll, uh, I've seen it a lot where people are, they've got these weird diets and things. It, it's all about 
Physical health. Yeah, weight loss usually. (laughs) Um, Or I feel better or I cured my whatever ailment, which is all, it's all very well and good. I have heard of young men using fasting as a way of dealing with sexual temptation. Right. And so spend time in prayer, repenting. Yeah. Yeah. That right there. Yeah. So what we're talking about is is fasting in that line, not Mm -hmm. the weight loss, you know. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Lemon cleanse or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Whatever. Whatever they're doing now, I don't even know. Or do they eat potatoes? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about ways that you can cultivate uh, love for the scriptures in your house. Mm. How? How? You know, you you talked earlier, Brad, about the <clears throat> the necessity of dad loving the scriptures, if the kids are going to grow up loving the scriptures. That's, that's certainly true. Um, uh, there, are, there are a number of, uh, number of ways, though, that you can turn, uh, turn seeking knowledge of the Bible into games, which, uh-huh. is, which can be a really useful Mm-hmm. idea. Yes. I remember when I was a child in Sunday school, I think, when we started doing sword drills. Sword drills. You all remember what those are? Those were fun. <laughs> those were fun because someone uh, up front would call out a verse and you had to scramble through your Bible to go and find that verse. And you, <laughs> if you were the first one, you'd stand up and you'd read it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Those were a lot of fun. Yes. Now, I would... I would modify that instead of going for chapter and verse, mm-hmm. go for specific phrases. Yes. Something okay. spicier. <clears throat> All right. Swords up. Uh-oh. Swords up. Oh, okay. Find the long lobe of the liver. Go. Oh, long lobe of the liver. <laughs> okay. That's uh, Leviticus. I know it. Yes. Well, that's, that's when you pull out Google. <laughs> <laughs> that's she. Okay. Google. Speaking of Google. <laughs> Yes, they, they've got these new AI bots that you can get to write your uh, your papers for yes. you, so you can have it write a paper about the long lobe of the liver. Well, um, actually, th- that is a really good way to approach it because yeah. there are particular words mm. that you'll find in Leviticus only. Yes, or there's a particular word that you'll find in Isaiah only. Mm-hmm. Right, and suddenly you found a thematic element of a book that's. Pretty important. Yes. Well, I, I use a um, uh, an app on my phone. That's uh, a Bible search software, and I use it all the time. I'll just punch in a phrase or a word, and then, yeah, right. learn that very thing. Uh, one of, uh, so these kinds of uh, sword drills, that's a very uh, useful little tool. It, it cultivates a certain competitive spirit, which is most admirable. <laughs> most admirable. <laughs> Yeah. Can be. Yes, <laughs> it can be. Now, you know, it might devolve into a fist fight, but, uh, you know. Well, well, St. Nick was orthodox. That's sometimes he, the aim, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, St. Nick was orthodox, and we know that because he had a mean right cross. Um, but um, This is becoming a theme. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing for cultivating a love of the scriptures uh, is... Uh, Consistent demonstrations of enthusiasm from dad. Mm-hmm. You get to read the Bible to your children. It's not you have to read the Bible to your children. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And if, if, you're, if you're a man with a family and you've not been reading the Bible to your children, uh, start. And you don't have to start uh, reading the Bible like Eeyore, you know. It might rain today. Like, <laughs> oh, I've, I'm such a failure and <laughs> woe is me. I'm a terrible human being. Now I'm going to very somberly read the Bible. Like, enjoy it. Your obedience and joy, they, they well, go together. And there are just funny mm-hmm. things in the Bible. There and, are lots and of those. children yes. should catch on to those funny things from, mm-hmm. uh, from their dad or their mm-hmm. mom, whoever's reading the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, I taught last year, I taught Bible mm-hmm. at the uh, Christian school that we had operating. And I did sword drills quite often. Mm. If you really want to jack up your kid's ability to navigate the scriptures, to know where things are, those are such great. It's a really good tool for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Find Deuteronomy 8, verse 9. Go. Uh, And so they search it out. Uh, and then, then later on, find find this word or find this phrase or find this story. Mm-hmm. Okay, where's the story of David and Goliath? Find it. Go. And uh, <clears throat> uh, there's other ones. Uh, who came first? Oh, uh, that's a good you game. Know, that, that's a really good game. Yeah. If you if you say, okay, well, let's let's do a real obvious one. Who came first, Abraham or Joseph? You know, things like that yep. that help a child to establish a timeline mm-hmm. in their head for the scriptures that, that this came first and then this. This is really a story. The scripture mm-hmm. is a story. It's not just random things. Things and not random stories that aren't connected. Yep. They're all connected. And you'll find yourself learning these things on the way. Like yes, I, did, I did not yeah. understand until I was in my late 20s, that Samuel and Samson are contemporaries. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was probably 25, 26 before I realized that. Yeah. yeah. It's always fun to pick up on those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll sit there and you'll be like, oh, well, wait a minute. <clears throat> Another thing that you can do, uh, and read from actually the Bible and not from a Bible story book. Yes. Your kids. Read from the Bible if you can. Uh, it will challenge you on a whole host of different levels. You run into the early part of Chronicles and try and read there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's, there's eight chapters of names. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and read them all. Do, do read them. Read them and read them aloud to your kids, even if you have to stumble and trip, because you'll have a lot of laughs. Oh, you know, yes, we, yes. We, the, the things you find in those lists, we Maher found... Shalal Hashbaz. Maher Shalal Hashbaz or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> we, we found uh, Muppim, Huppim, and Ard. Yes. And we thought, man, that'd be great names for triplets. Yes. <laughs> I uh, we, we may found... have made that suggestion to my wife about one of our kids, and I was shot down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we found in one of those lists a guy by the name of... Has a little pony. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's okay. in there. Yes, and then which leaves you wondering. Yeah, why does Hazalel have a pony? Uh, another interesting thing that you'll run across is you, you start to pick up on 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 literary aspects of the scriptures. Uh, 
much of the Pentateuch, especially in Leviticus, uh, is just Moses quoting God. Mm -hmm. God's talking. If you want to get a, uh, a feel for the, the way in which God speaks in a very direct way, there it is. Yeah. The Lord spoke. And, yeah. Yeah. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and then... Right. Now we're quoting God. Um, <clears throat> if you... Uh, yeah, and if, if you go through and you read the, uh, the Proverbs, now you're getting all this wisdom... And your young sons in particular need this. Yes. Um, the, uh, the Song of Solomon, that's an interesting one. How to approach Song of Solomon requires the wisdom that you've cultivated in the book of Proverbs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but, husbands, you can definitely learn to love your wife in Song of Solomon. <laughs> then memorization... <clears throat> I think <clears throat> memorization I always found to be a helpful way. I remember memorizing through Hebrews 11. Okay. And yeah. I don't think we ever memorized the whole passage because it's a long passage. It is a long passage. We yeah. memorized three quarters of the way through, and I still have that ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Which is, I mean, a book like Hebrews 11 is a good place to start if you want to give your kids like a, a general timeline of the Old Testament and yeah. how it points to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a passage that we were attempting to learn mm-hmm. last year in yep. school. It was Hebrews 11. Okay. Yep. And yeah. we, too, didn't make it all the way through, like three quarters. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I guess it's a, a common lot. thing. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of a passage. Yeah. Uh, and so with, with help in memorization, singing. Singing is a great way to remember something. Yeah. Um, the Lord uh, gifts people in different ways ways mm-hmm. you know i've i uh, i've loved the guitar since i was a little kid and i i began to develop by the time i was 13 i had the i had the distinct uh expectation and desire to be a recording artist from the time i was about 13 so god put that in my heart to do i uh, i never really I never really found the center, I think, of, of what I was doing until I had these kids. Yes. Right? I had, I had a, a troop of little ones, I think four of them, who were five and under, and, and I'm reading Bible to them. And, of course, you want to you wanna try and figure out how much, how much uh, comprehension is going on. So you ask, <laughs> you stop after a little while and you ask question about what went on in yes. the story that you just read yeah. them and, and it's hard yeah. to get a decent answer out of the out, out of, of the, the child yeah. <laughs> you know I, I was thinking about that this would have been 1995 mm. I think I was working for the Grand Prairie City Water Department that summer it was a really good job I was making 14 bucks an hour Ooh. man that was good Wow, adjusted for inflation. Uh, that's right. <laughs> but uh, I remember driving around in one of their trucks and thinking about this problem and thinking, it, you know, it crossed my mind at last, why don't I try and sing mm-hmm. some of these stories to my kids? And so I sat there in the, in the truck and I thought about, thought about what stories need to be done. And I thought, well, 
Start at the beginning. So I, I, <laughs> I said to myself, well, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, the very first people that the world's ever seen. And I, I, I thought, oh, oh, that was good. And I stopped, I was on the truck and I wrote it down. I, I have down. the album. <laughs> nice. I recognize that song. <laughs> and uh, I, I discovered the that there was, God. Yeah. There, was, there was such a, uh, you know, th- this really resonated with my kids mm-hmm. because all of a sudden their ability to tell me back what happened in the story went way up. Went way up because yep. they because they sung it, they sang it, and it was it was it became ingrained in them. That story uh, got into their DNA, into their bones. Yeah, and and it occurred to me, you know, I really should be doing this with a whole lot more of these Bible stories. There are an awful lot of Bible stories, and. Uh, <clears throat> This is such a good way to learn. And 20 years later. <laughs> 20 years later. Yes, there's, there's lots of Bible story songs recorded uh, to help you all get, your, uh, get a whole bunch of the stories of the Scripture socked away in your heart and in the hearts of your children. Mm-hmm. Lots of them. And it, it's fun. You walk in the door, like I'll be outside working in the yard or something, and I'll walk in and one of my kids has one of your albums on and uh, Walter will go running by attacking Liam with a sword and they're both singing the song. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and Emily's over there knitting something, humming the song. (laughs) And then Liam gets hit in the head with the sword while singing the song. And then he starts singing a different song. (laughs) More of a lament. More of a lament. And even though they're written to be uh, understandable to kids, Yet mm. uh, there are some interesting exegetical points that adults can pick up on as well. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so. well, I remember when, uh, I think it was in 2006 or seven when we first entered the CRE. Yeah, 2007. Yeah, 2007. It was mentioned that uh, Jim Jordan did a lot of our exegetical work and you wrote the songs. Mm. <laughs> that was that was what was said. Yeah. Well, I was there with Tim Gallant. He, yeah. Uh, and Gary Vanderveen was the, was our introducer. Yes. And Gary's, <laughs> Gary, in order to introduce our church to the to the uh, CREC, yeah. he, he pointed at Tim actually. Oh, it was he Tim. Said, yeah. You know, Tim wrote the book, and Jamie wrote the songs. Yeah. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> and by Tim, we mean Tim Gallant, yes. who wrote "Feed My Lambs." Feed My Lambs. Yeah. Marvelous book. book. On Peter Communion. Yes, marvelous mm-hmm. book. Highly recommended. Ten out of ten. Would definitely do that again. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, music and song, it, it brings joy and liveliness into the, uh, into the memorization of the Scripture and into the uh, inculcation of yes. scriptural doctrine and scriptural theme, scriptural type, and so forth. I found that it also makes, uh, it makes Bible reading much more enjoyable. I've been told this by families yes. everywhere that have imbibed deeply of the music that I make that almost every page of the Bible, the kid breaks into song. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> no, it, 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 it's marvelous. You go from being like, oh, do we have to do this to, oh, we get to do this. Mm-hmm. Now, moving from song, what about prayer? Yeah, I was just uh, thinking about prayer and thinking about a specific Bible passage that speaks about prayer. 
I'm thinking of First uh, Timothy four verses one to five. There, Paul is um, refuting certain people who say that, well, you're forbidden to marry, and then they require abstinence from foods. So Paul says. Um, now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And so I think as a, uh, as a Christian family, we can teach our children to receive everything with Thanksgiving yeah. um, by praying for each other in any moment of time, by praying, giving thanks before dinner, after dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, prayer, I think, as described by the Heidelberg Catechism, would be considered our, our chief act of Thanksgiving to God mm-hmm. for what he's done for us. Yes, and it orients... It orients your your kids and your your family. It orients you to thanksgiving to yes. God. Yeah, begin every prayer. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, our Father who art in heaven, right? Yeah, is is the form of prayer that we were taught by Jesus. Yeah, the whole thing is is centered in that thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, another thing to consider. And this, this is more on the, on the uh, private devotional end of things. Specifically directed at fathers, pray for your children regularly. Uh, pray that they be faithful Christians. Pray for their uh, mental and physical growth. Pray for everything about them. But pray for your children regularly. If you do that, the Lord will answer your prayers. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you pray for your children with them? Like not in, as often as I want worship? to. Not as often as I want to, yeah. but it does happen. Mm-hmm. Like I found myself thinking that I should do it more often. Yes. But it does happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, often at the dinner table, I'll pray for both my children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pray for us too. I, I, I'm usually doing that when there's somebody that's sick. You know, please right. heal. Right. Yes. That's normally yeah. when, it, when it comes to mind to do that, but... Mm. The, um, the practice of doing that is something I've been thinking about fairly recently, that I need to be more intentional in that. Uh, and it is one of, I think, the, um, one of the chief uh, joys that a, a husband and a father can have, one of the chief um, honorable duties that he can perform mm-hmm. is to pray for his family. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're talking to your heavenly father about you know, the people that he's, he's given you, he delights in that. Yeah, God has given you, oh husband, a priestly role in your house where you, uh, you intercede to God on their behalf. I remember talking to my brother Danny about this. And uh, <clears throat> Danny is a, He's an elder in the church up in Fort Nelson, B.C., and he's thought long about, about matters uh, of, of this sort. Um, and people come to him to, for counsel because he's a wise man, 
And so, so sometimes unbelieving folk will come to him hmm. uh, to ask him about, like, like I, a guy comes and says, you know, my marriage is just really on the rocks and I don't know what to do. What should I do? And, and Danny told him, and I thought this was such good counsel. He said, God has made you a priest in your house. Okay, you, you may not believe this. What I want you to do is act as though you do. <laughs> I want you to act as though you do. I want you to pray for your wife. Huh. That guy came to Christ. I believe it, yeah. That guy came to Christ not very long after that and brought his family with him. Well, and it's, it's interesting because scripture does speak about the husband having that kind of spiritual authority. So I, I forget exactly where it is right now, but um, I think there's one point where it says, and live with your wives with honor and respect so that your prayers might not be hindered. Right. That's so, first Peter, I think. Yeah. So there's very much a, a spiritual authority that's connected with a husband and father that's linked to prayer. Yep. Yeah. And the treatment of your wife... And the efficaciousness of your prayers are linked. Yes. <laughs> Stew on that for a minute. Mm-hmm. If you're a bum to your wife, God ain't, he ain't listening. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> At least he won't answer. <laughs> yeah, that's what he says. Now, the, uh, the thing about praying repeatedly, constantly with the family is now my children learn that Prayer is the normal, uh, the normal thing that a Christian does. And uh, I've seen this in other families in our church as well. Uh, we were having a birthday party for one of my sons. I think it was Liam's birthday party. Yeah. And we had uh, Keith over. Right. And uh, Keith and Liam are thick as thieves. <laughs> and so uh, we were having this birthday party, and we were set down for the dinner. And... Uh, Keith pipes up before I, like I was about ready to start praying and uh, Keith pipes up and he's seven-ish, same age as Liam. I want to pray for Liam. I said, okay, perfect. <laughs> so, so Keith launches into this marvelous prayer. I was like, okay, so Keith, go for it. You know, you take it <laughs> away, bud. So he, he does. And uh one of the things, first off, that just delighted me to no end, <laughs> that my son's friend wanted to pray for him on his birthday, yeah. <laughs> and that uh, the, uh, I, I know the temperature of that home. Yeah. Yeah. When, when their seven-year-old thinks that I should pray for my friend, yeah. that tells me something marvelous about the temperature of, of that home. Yes. Yes, uh, it does. Yeah. So if uh, one of the things that... Um, is a truism, is that your children will tell the entire world what your home is like by how they <laughs> behave, whether you want them to or not. Yes. Yeah, you have, no, you have no choice in this matter. You have right. no control over it. Whatever you are behind closed doors, they are in public. So... What you do in secret will be will be broadcast from the house tops. Will be broadcast from the house. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is very true. <laughs> so the... Uh, yeah, this this little this little thing with Keith, it it was marvelous. It pleased <laughs> me to no end. Blessed my heart. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that you can create uh, that kind of culture in your home for your children by simple 
simple acts, simple um, praying, reading, yeah. feasting, fasting, singing. So, so, mm-hmm. so I think there's an element of then the father leading the family in prayer, but also the father teaching the children how to pray. Yes. And he teaches the children how to pray by praying himself. The younger the child, I think it's good. Certain form prayers before bed or before the meal are good so that they've got like a basic grid in their mind. Mm -hmm. But then as the child is growing older, like hitting four or five or six, Mm -hmm. it's generally a good idea to um, start letting the the child pray for themselves and Mm -hmm. and maybe even joining the family prayer at the dinner table. Um, Yeah, leave room. Because that makes them more comfortable. Yeah, leave room for your child to participate. Yes. Uh, Nathan, you started out this, uh, this podcast reading Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to read this again, <clears throat> just thinking about it in terms of, of the, uh, the discussions and so forth that will rise in your house Uh, Deuteronomy 6, starting at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, okay, there's, a, uh, there's an expectation here that you are going to be discussing with your children the things of God. Yes. You're going to be discussing them and be prepared all the time for those discussions because that, that's what God wants for you to do. He wants you to, to bring your children up with the with, with him ever before their eyes. Mm-hmm. And you'll get the strangest things at the strangest moments. You will. And you need to be prepared. Yes. Every topic is on the table. Yes. 100%. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's okay if you're not prepared, then you can just go Google search something and figure out what it means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or find a good book. Maybe that might be better than Google search. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Google search can be very useful. <laughs> yes. If, if your child asks you a question, you do not know the answer, say, I do not know the answer. I will have the answer for you by, and then give yourself a deadline. Yes. So that your child, and you know your children, they'll keep you honest. (laughs) (laughs) So that uh, little Liam will come up to me, Dad, you said, you said that you would tell me what that meant by now. Oh, 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 right, yes. Of course I will, Liam. Yes, I'm about to do that right now. Uh But you notice notice with this uh, Deuteronomy 6 passage, you've got the... um, uh, sitting, walking, lying down, and rising. Th- that's the, m- the movement of the complete day. Yeah. So wherever you are, be, be prepared for the questions of your children, but be prepared also to provoke those questions. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like you're waiting for little Johnny to ask you a spiritual right. question so that you may tell him a thing. Provoke these questions. Prime the pump. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, the passage goes on to say that you're supposed to bind them as a sign upon your hand. 
you got something here. Every time you look at your hand, you're reminded of the word of God. Uh, they should be as frontlets between your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> you're cross-eyed. No, look in the mirror. There it is. There's something about the, the word of God. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, uh, there are there are forms of this that the the uh, the Christian kitsch hmm. world yeah. does. Yeah. Okay. And because you can uh, you can get a you can get a plaque that has a Bible verse on it. Yes. Uh, those are those are can be good ideas. I I, you know, I agree. Yeah. Fill your house with the Word of God and have it on the door. Hang it on of the wall. Yeah. Have a have something on your gate. Yeah, now, if you're going to tattoo Philippians on your arm... Yeah, no, I was just thinking about <laughs> tattoos. <laughs> Maybe read your Bible again. <laughs> I, f- I find it interesting, uh, verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Mm-hmm. So the doorpost of your house is the doorpost of your house. And when I think of the doorpost, I'm thinking of Passover. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? It's, yep. it's the entrance to the house, but I'm thinking primarily of Passover because yep, that's I'm where the blood goes. Now, with the gates, I'm thinking about the city gates. Mm-hmm. So that's the public square. Yeah. That's the court. That's the courthouse. So right. that... On the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Yeah. Uh, in so the, this, this piety that you are developing in your house... Is public. Is, is not just in your house. It's yeah. public. It's public. The, the gates in the, uh, in the Jewish world were the place where the elders of the city, village, or town yeah. would sit to adjudicate legal cases. Yes. Uh, so we're talking about a Ten Commandments plaque on the courthouse wall. Yep. That's what we're talking about. That's where and, that belongs. And so we come right back to our protests against secularization. Mm-hmm. Is There's nothing secular about that image there in Deuteronomy 6. Mm-hmm. Christ is very much Lord in the family. And if we want Christ to be Lord in the state, then he has to be Lord in the family first. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it's no good complaining about uh, how horribly secular the world is if your family is no different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, your, and this is something I've said to people, um, and they, I think, thought I was joking, but I wasn't. Um, talking with people who are of a secular conviction, and uh, I ask them, how many children do you have? And typically, if any, one, maybe two. I said, well, then my children shall outnumber yours and do already, mm-hmm. and my children will own the world. Like, figure this out. <laughs> yes, do the math. Do the math. Uh, we're having children, raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, and, yeah, we're going, we're going to own the world. We, we also know this from our post-millennial doctrine from the Scriptures, but just basic math. We're, we're, going, we're going to be running this, this show and, and that's the impetus that drives mm. us out of the cloister and into the world. Yes. Mm. So in that way, we're very much not like the, the monasteries of old right. because... Yeah. Yes, yeah. They, they, were, they were gathered in order to maintain purity. And what happened when they gathered to maintain purity is as they maintained purity, they became exceedingly productive. Yes. And, and, and their, their uh, productions made it out into the world. And so the monks were famous for their beer or for whatever it was that yep. they were, uh, that they were spending their time at because they had to, yep. a man's got to work. Oh, right? he does. Well, and every, they knew this. Uh, in, in the 11th and 12th centuries, every lawyer in Europe was trained in Bologna. 
which was a monastery that had turned itself basically into a, a law school. A law school. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, they trained pretty much all of the lawyers in the Roman clergy, but they also trained the entire uh, ministerium of the, uh, the Holy Roman Empire for several generations. Mm. So when you read about these German emperors, all of their, their civil servants, all of their functionaries, all of the guys that wrote all the documents that you can read, the facsimiles on you know, right. Google, all those guys were trained there. Mm. And it had started out as, as... As a monastery. As a monastic house. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cluny was very similar. Uh, they had a lot of learning that came out of there. Also a lot of production of, of mm-hmm. goods. Um, when there were wars raging through that area, Cluny was the place you would go for refuge. Mm-hmm. Because everybody knew you don't go, you don't go sacking Cluny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And there's more. Mm. Like a lot more. The... Um, the concentration of piety mm-hmm. could not be contained in those cloister walls. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and by analogy, that. neither can it in your house. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. It has to spill out. It has to spill out. It does, out. yeah. Yeah, what and you it believe. Will. It has to and it does. Yeah, what you believe is what you will do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think the final discipline we want to touch on church attendance. That is a spiritual discipline. Yes. If you want, uh, if you want to know where the battle lines are, spiritually speaking, mm-hmm. try and get your family ready for church. <laughs> the struggle is real. <laughs> the struggle is real. Yes, anyone who has little kids knows how real the struggle can be. <laughs> yeah, bad attitudes and overflowing diapers only happen 20 yes. minutes before service. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then your daughter gets the scissors and starts cutting up her dress. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah. And then mommy and daddy start fighting about something on the drive. <laughs> you, you, you need the confession of sin at the beginning of the service to take care of what happened on the drive to church. <laughs> and that is true as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. If, yeah, if you want to know where, where, the, uh, where, where the fault lines are. <laughs> yeah. Yes, deep, uh, but deep habit mm-hmm. can really be helpful yes. for you. Deep habit, we go to church. Yep. We do that, uh, and we do it. It doesn't matter what happens in our house. It doesn't matter... What happens on the drive to church? Mm-hmm. We we're committed to this. This is a spiritual discipline. Uh, it, it's a spiritual home discipline where my home is committed to upholding the public worship mm-hmm. of God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that in itself is a huge thing. It can go wrong, of course. Yes. Uh, as anything can go wrong if you take your eyes off Jesus and you, mm-hmm. and you think that uh, this is all about you or, or, you, or you grow cold yep. uh, in your spirit. Uh, you can derail all kinds of things like that. But that is a particular habit that you need to cultivate. Mm-hmm. You yes. need to cultivate regular 
church attendance. Yes. Regular every week church attendance. And Absolutely. cultivate that gladness about going to the mm-hmm. house of the Lord as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, whenever uh, you read a psalm about going up to uh, to the, the courts yeah. of the Lord or the temple. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of yes. the Lord. Or, or go around Jerusalem, mm-hmm. number her ramparts. Yeah. Right. Is speaking of the church. Yeah. This is a joyful, a joyful trip. The um, yeah, the father should consider this to be a solemn, joyful duty. This mm-hmm. must happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, if you're, for example, traveling away from your regular church on a Sunday with your family, find a church for fellowship. Find a church and go. Go. You are summoned by Christ to go. Take your family. You should, you should look at it as being, this is what a man does. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and, and I think it's important that uh, the children see that their dad also places himself under spiritual authority, mm-hmm. that he's not the sole authority, but that mm-hmm. he also places himself under spiritual authority in the church, and that, um, yeah, he's not just a, a lone ranger. Yeah, he's not a lone ranger and he's not a tyrant. And not a tyrant, exactly. It's usually the two come together. Oh, every time I've (laughs) seen it, yes. Every time I've seen it. Uh, You've got got a man who uh, won't listen, won't be taught, but insists that he uh, he be listened to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it places the family in the context of... um, the family of faith. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yes. All right. Well, it's been good to talk with you folks uh, about the spiritual disciplines that we can develop in the home and connected to the home. And it's our, our prayer for you that you in your home would, uh, you would commit yourselves to spiritual practices in your home, uh, in your church, but especially in your home. Dads, take up that Bible and read. Find delight in it. Find delight in in your Lord in it. Jesus said that you guys search the scriptures. He talked to the Pharisees. He said, but you guys are, you're missing it. You're missing it because they point to me. The scriptures point to Jesus Dig into that Bible for, the, for your own sake, but do it also for the sake of your children, for the sake of your family, that uh, your home might be, as, uh, as Pastor Nathan spoke earlier, might be a protest against uh, coldness and wandering in the world. Mm-hmm. It's a protest against those things in order that you might walk uprightly and in order that you might accomplish what God commanded for you in Deuteronomy chapter 6 of teaching these things diligently to your children. May God grant to you uh, the power and the joy and the delight of being able to pursue these things. Indeed. Amen. Amen. Then a few, uh, just a few closing words from uh, Psalm 127 and 128. Think about the beauty of, of what Jamie has just presented there. 
Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children's of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And Psalm 128, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. That's what we are aiming at. Amen. By God's grace. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe and all that. Have a good day. Have a good day. Have a good day. A warmer day than what we're having, please. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 